the magic of a dark stone, you are tuned in to the Jewel Riders Archive! <laughs> Hey Jewel fans, Chris here. I just wanted to let you know before we get started on this episode, a quick content warning. We talk about a lot of stuff in this episode that's related to the queer community and a lot of recent harm related to it. So if any of that is triggering to you, just uh, wanted you to be aware before this episode goes out. And, you know, it's a lot related to media companies and their responses to some queer issues. So just a quick warning. Hope you all are doing lovely. All right. Bye. Hey, Jewel fans. I'm Chris. And I'm Ronnie from the Jewel Riders Archive. We are here today with returning guest Alex from Paper Doll Prints. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be so, back. Yeah, glad to have you. So this episode is something that Ronnie is very passionate, passionate about, I'm going to say. So why don't you explain kind of the concept that you wanted to discuss this episode? Of course. And I think that if anyone hasn't been made aware of some recent events, um, this is going to hopefully be enlightening to you. And and I hope that also from a personal perspective, this will also be enlightening to you as a listener, whether you are part of the queer community or you are a supporter and an ally, which I hope that you are. And I guess to get right into it, recently there's been some conversations had about companies and creators that make products that the queer community and, well, beyond that, are beloved. But then sometimes people say things, people do things People make bad decisions that affect an entire community. And how do you as a fan react to that? You know, that's that's I think that that's the overarching. Like, we'll definitely call out one company in particular at a later yes, point. I, I know you're chomping at the bit <laughs> to call out said company. The, but that is that's essentially what the theme of this episode is. Yeah. So in some ways, it sounds like. We're talking a little bit about death of the author and the queer community and separating your love of a property from questionable actions of a creator. Right. And I think that also before we start the, the conversation so that everyone understands also our perspective, um, I do want to let you know that I identify as a gay man. So I... That's how I identify. Right. And likewise for me. And I'm a non-binary person who is, I guess, androphilic primarily. So. And I think that a little bit of an extension to that is also we'll be using some pronouns in this conversation. So if we're addressing Alex per se, we may say they or them. Alex, can you give us a little bit of information regarding that so our listeners understand? Um, just being non-binary? Well, I mean that, but then also the pronouns that might be acceptable for someone who is non-binary. 
Oh, I mean, non-binary people can use any pronouns. A lot of non-binary people like gender-neutral pronouns best. It makes them feel the most comfortable. Um, but non-binary people can use any pronouns. Perfect. So again, we may say he, him, they, them, I mean, she, her. <laughs> and I mean, again, for us, we, we use the pronouns of he and him. Yeah. So I think this, a real like huge piece of this conversation goes back to JK Rowling mm -hmm. of all, you know, you know, the, the Voldemort of our age, unfortunately, <laughs> and her, incredibly transphobic comments that have been circling around for gosh like at least a year now i want to say do you remember the specific context that way our listeners kind of understand so a lot of a lot of this goes back to she supports a group that basically stands for um trans exclusive radical feminists is that correct alex yeah the turfs um, turfs yeah and it's basically her position has always remained, you know, quote unquote, biologic women are the only, the only true woman. They're the only true, you know, people who were born with said, you know, genitalia, genitalia are the only real women, which is obviously not true to any of us, but right. it and galvanized like, a lot of people for her and a lot of people against her. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that that's when the conversation, and this does eventually tie back to Jewel Riders, so stay with us. We will definitely be <laughs> circling back to that. But as Chris said, you know, opening up the conversation initially with J.K. Rowling and the fact that she made some comments, that it definitely made a large group of people feel well if this is the way that the author feels, then I'm not going to support that person. And by extension, that means that they're created works. And as we know, she's the author of Harry Potter. Right. And she and a lot of people have had a really hard time separating her comments from their love of this work. And which is not the first time we've seen this. You know, there have been like anime and manga creators or other novelists who have for you know one reason or another like done really unsavory things and fallen out like my brother for instance loves the manga Ruroni Kenshin and the author of that manga was arrested at one point for like child pornography which has nothing to do with the manga or the story in any way so he's had to deal with his own feelings of separation from of that story from the person, the person. Right. Alex, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this topic of, of separating the creator from the created. Um, well, I mean, in my opinion, um, there are things that should be deal breakers for people when it comes to created works um if we had a beloved series like harry potter for example but the author was openly racist i do think more people would have a, a bristle at that if not an outright 
denunciation of that. Um, but since it's a queer issue and specifically a trans issue and people have a lot of opinions on trans people and trans issues, but not a lot of knowledge, um, they're not very quick to denounce it. I don't feel like um, we we have a long ways to go, I think, for understanding of queer issues, specifically gender. Um, and I think people still are able to use um, moral justifications that they really hold deep um, within themselves to justify really bad behavior against LGBTQIA people. So um, in terms of how all of this is going down, I feel like if it was any other kind of prejudice, it would probably be a lot quicker to be denounced, but because it's a trans issue, mostly with J.K. Rowling, I don't think people care as much, frankly. That's a great point. I, I like how that was phrased, and I think that that is true. And obviously, I don't agree with the sentiment. Like, I don't think that it should be any less of an issue, but I definitely agree with what you're saying, because for more people, if it was a larger, whether it was racism or as we're seeing right now from Disney, the larger target of just the queer community, people would be much more outspoken. But because of the fact that it is a, a trans isolated concern and prejudice that I feel as though more people haven't really taken a stand against it. And initially, I mean, there was a lot of conversation about it. And, and when the statements were first made, there was, you know, the internet and Twitter was all aglow with conversations regarding this. And then I, I feel like it's waned a little bit and, and not many people are talking about this as much. And then there's also the, the secondary to this is that, you know, there is the author, there's the books, but then the movie studio, Warner Brothers, bought the rights from the author to make the movies. So while she was involved with the production, she herself did not finance these. She did not necessarily make the movies. So do we then need to say that we are not going to support the movies any longer? Like, I know a lot of people were selling their Harry Potter books and their novels because of their outrage. But then do you do it to the extent of the films? And then what about the theme parks? Because Universal Studios also has Harry Potter attractions. Do you now no longer frequent businesses like Universal Studios? I mean, you know, to what extent do you do this? Because, yes, the author is still getting a, a cut from the sales from the studio, but it's not really directly her business. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's a really hard thing because... I know in the case of Harry Potter, like basically a huge number of the cast of the movies came out as like, uh, no, Joanne, that's really not what you should be saying. Well, and, they used her first name. And we don't and we don't agree with that and we don't support that position. Do you think that that was more of a publicity move to make sure that they were quickly disassociated with it? Or do you feel that a majority of them actually felt that way? You know, it's hard to say one way or the other, but from what I remember of the situation, it seemed fairly genuine, you know, because I think people who are actors who of like beloved characters often, I think they understand that they are sort of 
they're sort of caretakers of that character and the way that that character makes people feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember Carrie Fisher had a saying at one point, you know, they don't love Princess Leia. They, I mean, sorry, they don't love me. They love Princess Leia. And I'm the closest they're ever going to get to that. True. And it's so it's really like they are like the physical world caretakers of these beloved characters. And then it's like how it's so hard. It's like, how do you separate that from because I grew up reading Harry Potter. I like I like loved it. Like. So it was like incredibly disappointing for me when she came out with those comments. And I have to say, like. I haven't thrown away my Harry Potter novels, but I also haven't bought anything new Harry Potter mm-hmm. since then no, or purchased any Harry Potter related merchandise or anything. And I'm assuming that this is a pretty obvious question or answer rather, but there's well, actually there is no queer character in any of her novels. Is there? Like not, outwardly not, queer. Not openly queer, no. Now we outed, of course, Dumbledore famously after the last book. I kind of forgot about that. Okay, so <laughs> she outed Dumbledore yeah. as being gay mm-hmm. after. So my question then is... Sorry, spoiler alert. If you, <laughs> if you didn't read that. <laughs> but I guess it's been out for a while. I yes. just, I didn't, I, I forgot about that. I do remember that now. So then my question is, okay, so then part of this author seems to be supportive, but then it's not supportive. And of course she's retracted her statements and tried to backpedal and say, well, maybe that's not what I meant. Or maybe like it was misunderstood or whatever it might be. Because previous to this, did any of the fandom try to turn any of the characters gay like well you know like any fandom since you know the 70s with star trek and star wars yeah i mean they have for those who don't know what shipping is it's putting two characters together basically who are not together on the screen famously it's kirk and spock i've never seen that as slash is and it kind of it's because it's called slash because if you write their names next to each other, you write a slash in between uh-huh. to indicate who the pairing is. Okay. And of course, Harry Potter has been rife with pairings. There's Harry Draco, Harry Snape, which I find horrifying <laughs> always. Um, you know, Harry Ron. You know, you could have uh, Hermione Luna. Oh, and, I have Harry and Ron. Yeah. Yeah, and they love I their think redheads. A lot of. A lot of media that doesn't have official queer representation in it, fans will create their own. And that's a perfect segue for a later part of the conversation. We're going to (laughs) definitely hit that. We're going to come back to that. And that's and I think that always traces back to the importance of being able to see yourself in work. You know, I have to say, like. Star Trek Discovery for me, for instance, is the first time that they have openly queer characters on the show. And that means a lot to me for such a a show that I loved and grew up with and is supposed to be this very progressive thing, but has only heterosexual people in the future. 
don't you know that's i know yeah, that's, that's the future <laughs> exactly how what a horrifying future <laughs> not rainbows <laughs> it's just in space yeah it's just gray and beige exactly in space. <laughs> i think we should contextualize a bit of the jk rowling situation as well because there's been a very concerted effort in the uk to separate trans people from the rest of the queer community um there's been quite a few situations, but one of the more prominent situations I can point to is uh, the formation of a advocacy group in England called the LGB Alliance. Um, so basically, they were formed to exclude trans people, and they take a stance against Stonewall's policies on transgender issues. So, oh, I'm not aware of this. That's horrible. Yeah. And they assert the right of lesbians, bisexuals, and gay men to define themselves as same-sex attracted. And they state that such a right is threatened by attempts to introduce confusion between biological sex and gender. And that's a um, great context. I mean, it's it's sad. I mean, it's the fact that it's not even, you know, you're, you're, you've gone beyond trying to fight external powers now you're fighting internal powers it's like as the queer community we need to be standing together like you know as as the more powerful in numbers not excluding and targeting people within our own community i yeah i totally agree i think i think a lot of the problem lies with the fact that um i know that we're all kind of around the same age and like when we were growing up we definitely didn't get taught about ourselves in schools, and I'm sure we'll talk more about Not that at all. later. <laughs> yes. um, but I guess the issue is most queer people in general, whether they're whichever letter or letters applies to them, they had to learn about themselves and teach themselves about themselves. And we constantly are expected to be somewhat um, advocates and educators to all of the cisgender heterosexual people in our lives for the rest of our lives as well. Um, right. We constantly have to not only defend our identity, but we have to explain very basic things all the time. Um, at least in my experience, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't speak for you both, but I feel like that's quite a common thing to have to validate our own identity and, and defend it. Um, I mean, maybe not to the extent, but again, I think that as a non-binary person also, you kind of have to explain to people more because I think that people have now finally started to understand what same-sex attraction is. So, you know, if they understand, okay, you're gay, you're lesbian, but that's the extent of what they know. So then when you start to get into a lot of other things, whether you're pansexual, non-binary, transsexual, and it's un it's explaining to them, and, and you've just basically, you know, you're, you're speaking another language to them. And that's the frustrating thing. So I think that media has started to normalize the as as you said the lgb like that's kind of the people that are more or less identified in media so i think that that's going to be that i think that that's a good i think that we'll segue into here um from harry potter and i i do want to take a moment to just bring in jewel writers into this conversation because how i really think that this all ties together is Recently, I went to a doll show. Of course, I love Barbies and I love all things dolls. And to see that about half of the audience that attended 
we're gay men. And yet, Barbie's not gay. You know, Ken isn't necessarily officially canonized gay. Um, but all of the toys that are featured at this show are from properties, from toy companies that never targeted a queer audience, but yet has found that in a lasting fandom. So especially within our Jewel Riders fandom, we have so many, you know, adult men who love this property. And I think that while the girls in our groups who love Jewel Riders still, they obviously have fond memories about Jewel Riders and about having their own dolls and about role playing and cosplaying in later years. As a gay man, you have a different experience with Jewel Riders because it was something that was essentially forbidden to you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I've I've spoken to this before that it was like any doll related thing was very forbidden to me as a child. And so it made you like that property that much more. Well, it makes you internalize the like the secrecy of that love. I guess where you love it and you know that it's not okay to talk about it because it's taboo, it's not going to be received well, and as a protection for yourself, you don't talk about it. And you basically continue to, like, bury yourself. It's like an early... It's like an early memory of of basically uh, trying to pass, right, as, as... Normal. As a straight person. I mean, I think that this is an interesting point, and I was thinking about this earlier. Um, this is a unifying queer experience, no matter mm-hmm. which letter you fall under, because what this is is actually a gender problem, and every queer person has experienced this, so it's kind of interesting, because it's kind of... a, It's that experience times whatever number you want to pick for trans people it's like that is what the experience of um being trans is for a lot of people or being non-binary is for a lot of people is having those gender expectations not fit with the core of who you really are and so all queer people have experienced i think some kind of um detachment from the expectation of what their gender is supposed to be and who they really are um and I think that's a good example of it right there. Um, you're not supposed to like dolls just because, um, right? Yeah, and, no, you're absolutely right. So, um, it's like, and I can't imagine how many times that would be amplified by a trans experience. Like, like it was horrible for me, but I can't even imagine like how much more horrible it could be in a circumstance like that. Yeah, I mean, and this just goes to show right here, there is a difference between sex and gender right there, because Mm -hmm. what, what is that, what is that invisible force that's telling you, you can't like that thing. You can't do that thing. That's gender. That's Mm -hmm. forced, forced cisgenderism. It's forced compulsory heterosexual cisgender standards on everybody. Um, Right. And, you know, things are obviously changing. Um, I was in a Target 
I don't know, a little while ago. And I just remember, I don't know if I heard about this up, but there was a little boy and a little girl with their mom and they were just shopping. And I remember that they were walking through the quote unquote girls section with looking for the little girl for clothes. And the little boy was just like, I don't want to look at little girl clothes. I don't want this. And then the mom was like, there are no girl clothes. There are no boy clothes. They're just clothes. And we're here looking for your sister. And, you know, it's it's things like that. And and I see so many posts on social media of parents who are supporting their male children who are buying dolls, who are playing with Barbies on the Internet. And more and more people are being accepting of this. And And I would love to say that it's honestly because people see it as wrong to gender identify toys and gender identify colors even like again my favorite color is hot pink and all throughout my life it's well that's a girl color or that's this color but i hear that less and less and less as as i get older um i mean but honestly even into like teenage years when i would say something about wearing pink or something people would say like oh well that's a that's a girl color you know and of course like you know, collecting dolls, like especially as a grown man where you still get occasionally those looks of like, you know, oh, you're a man who collects dolls, but it's becoming less. And I think that that's also because within media, it's becoming more and more normalized. Mm-hmm. I have to say that even up to like 10 years ago, when I was living in a super conservative town, when I would buy a Barbie at the checkout, if somebody asked me about it, I said it was for a niece because I just I didn't want to deal with it at the time. And I won't do that now. But you also weren't out. At the no, time. I wasn't out at the time either. So that's good to have context right. with it. You know, you weren't sure of yourself. I don't think, you know, you didn't have that empowering. Right. Magic. Right. <laughs> but why do you think do you think Barbie and other dolls are such such like icons to queer people because of the forbidden nature? Or do you think there's more to it than that? Do you think it's like the ability to role play to figure out who you really are? Barbie with her 8 million careers (laughs) and fabulous lifestyle. It's like, does she represent something like the ability to be who you really want to be? I mean, I think, like, I want to preface everything else. Everything that I've said so far is just my opinion, and it's, like, not to be taken as, like, anything more than that. I'm not really a spokesperson for non-binary or trans people. I was going to say, you're not the national spokesperson. No, no. (laughs) I'm not the Jen Psaki for non-binary and trans people. (laughs) So, um, but I do want to say, I think that there's a level of um, gender even in sexual orientation that comes into play that we are not really talking about or well versed in all the way. Um, I think that that there's an element of gender play that all queer people have. And eventually we settle into what we're most comfortable with and what our gender identity really is. Um, But I do think it's quite normal for quite a few young queer people to, um, experiment with their gender in comparison to cisgender heterosexual children, I would think. Um, 
like most queer people I've talked to when they're young, there is a level of an experimentation with their gender. Um, and that's obviously not everybody, but I've heard it more often than not. And in terms of Barbie, I think it is that self-insert um, kind of character that a lot of people can play with. And I think there's a level of like working out relationships because um, I think most queer people also know that there's something different about the the way they they move through the world and interact with the world at a young age um they might not have a word for it they might not know how to describe it but they know at a young age there's something different um you and i think that otherness yeah and i think barbie young. exactly and i think barbie is a sort of vehicle to um maybe work that out a bit because you're working out relationships in an artificial small setting and you can be whatever you want to be with those dolls for that time mm -hmm. um so on a very small and simplified scale i think that's what it is <laughs> but well when it comes to any toy i think that everyone has i don't know if they're necessarily born to like a certain thing or if obviously it is influenced by your surroundings and then that's when you become rebellious and want to have what you're told you can't have but I've had plenty of boyfriends who although they obviously became gay they didn't play with Barbie they didn't have dolls mm -hmm. they played with quote-unquote boy toys and they were fine with that you know they liked action figures they liked playing with Legos and we had those things as well mm -hmm. but I also had my dolls and so I think that I, I think it's just the the kid like if you like role play if you like dressing things up if you like you know as you said living Barbie's 999 different <laughs> jobs you know, that's something that you just enjoy doing because I also enjoyed playing house and I also enjoyed, you know, dressing up and doing all that fun stuff. So that was related to Barbie and to dolls. And so I did see her as an icon, as an influence of someone that I want to aspire to be like. And that's the reason why I love Barbie, you know, again, but not every gay man, not every lesbian wanted the opposite of what they were being told. Some of them were very happy to have the toys that they were given. Right. You know, so there is that aspect. And, and you know, with we've talked about this before, but it's like, you know, with Jewel Riders, you were allowed the certain toys that were, quote unquote, the more boy like. So that's why you got Drake. Right. And, but I did have a I did and you had have a Alan and Guinevere. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, I wanted Tamara. And, you know, I, I think that when it comes to me and certain things like pink, um, I really don't know if I just did it because I wanted to be that much more rebellious because I do remember at some points, like I liked purple. I also liked red, but I feel like I just always gravitated towards that Barbie pink because I was like, you know, that's the one that they don't want me to have. Well, then I'm going to get that one, you know? So there was that aspect to it. So, you know, I, I think that you just, you know what you like. I mean, you know, and as, I think earlier what you said is that you see yourself in these characters. And so 
whether we are talking about other dolls or if we're talking about jewel riders, you know, if you were a tomboy, you saw Fallon. Or if you were the girly girl, you might have really liked Guinevere, but you also might have loved Tamara. And something that we've discussed also is as far as diversity goes, you know, again, a lot of these properties were created with that cisgender target. So Barbie was made for girls, you know, He-Man was made for boys. And now, as we've discussed, society and media is starting to make queer characters more and more and more a part of the storytelling. And so this is going to be a twofold conversation. The first one that I want to talk about is the fandom's gift for shipping people and for, you know, pairing them up with unlikely sources. So that's one part. And then I want to kind of, I was in segue, I was going to say sachet, but (laughs) segue into the next part of, do you feel like what kinds of cartoons are you recently seeing out there that do support a queer community that do have gay characters? Um, If you can name some of those, then maybe that you love. So let's go back to, as we were talking about with the shipping aspect of it, um, I mean, that's something that, Chris, you've been more aware of than than I really have. Yeah, I mean, you you never really read a lot of fan fiction or anything like that. But, I mean, I would I would read a fair bit. Not a ton. But and I you've have, written. And I've written. I've written my fair share. I think this is a good time to plug some of that I information. But I have to say, when I wrote fan fiction, I pretty much put a queer character into everything that I wrote. And I would often pick like a side background character because they're a blank slate, right? They're not really well evolved. Right. Essentially. I, as I, as a writer could play with them more. Like I think the very first really queer characters that I wrote were in 2012. I wrote this like giant fan fiction for dragonflies of all things, you know, a very forgotten cartoon. Flight is might. Except by me, yes. (laughs) And I took two, you know, background characters and I shipped them together. And it's probably more thought than the creators ever gave those two characters. Max and Josh have often been shipped together. Oh, yeah, and Jewel Riders. Like, I don't know what it is. Maybe because, again, it's kind of blank slate. They don't have a story. Yeah, they, they get shipped often. I mean, Fallon is often... Thought of as either like Lesbian Aero Ace or yeah, a- or Tamra's more. No, I don't know. It kind of goes off, <laughs> but there's there's all sorts of versions of the characters because they have made. I mean, both Tamra and Fallon have you know been Ace. Mm-hmm. They've been non-binary. They've been lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously, you know, fans morph their body types because, as you said, they want to see themselves. In the character. Yeah, I mean, Jewel Riders was made at a time where, like, pretty much you could swap the heads on any of the characters, boy or girl, and it's the same body. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a Barbie body, right? It's that universal doll, but yet they had no clothes. But that's a whole other conversation. Yes. <laughs> they should have made clothes that fit all of them. <laughs> but it's it's something that you that you finally find that you really want out of your media. And I think when you're writing it specifically, 
you know, because you write fan fiction, I think, first of all, for yourself, because it's something that you want to see out of a show or a book or whatever. And you write it. So you write it for yourself. And while you're writing it, you have the control over your God of that world for, you know, however long you want to play in that sandbox. You have the power. The power. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> On this week's episode. Of <laughs> He-Man. Yeah. I mean, He-Man himself is a gay, is icon. A gay icon in his leather harness and furry underwear. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and I mean... She and wrong. Skeletor. And Skele- oh Skeletor, my god! Talk weirdly. about a queen. <laughs> you know, with all his wit and sass. I know his. It's like it makes you wonder again, and we'll take this to the next side of the conversation. But it's like if these cartoons were made today, do you feel that those characters would be out? Do you feel that Skeletor would be a gay character? Do you feel that Fallon would be? you know, ace or non-binary, like something that more or less fits. Because I think that a lot of fans take out of context maybe sometimes things where she says, like, you know, dancing and flirting, like, that is what you do best to Guinevere. You know, let me do what I do best, almost as like a, see, see, Fallon's not interested in boys. And it's like, well, that's not really what was said. But again, as a fan, you're creating this story in your head. Especially as a very young fan, you're looking... You're, you'll pick up on any little crumb that you can that something could be queer. And that's a whole other topic of like queer baiting by authors and showrunners to make things seem like, oh, this could turn out queer. Wink, wink. No, not and that we would mention any of that about a certain no, company there's... that we'll mention <laughs> later. <laughs> but I think you only have to look to She-Ra and the Princesses of Power to see what jewel writers could be if it was rebooted. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's lesbian characters, there's gay characters, there's, you know, non-binary characters, there are, you know, women in relationships, and just the the spectrum of representation in that show is amazing. But at the end of the day, it never gets in the way of the story, of the story and the character and the emotion. Perfectly put. And it's such a perfect example of what something can be. Recently, a friend of the archive, um, Lisa Dawn from The Princess Blood, suggested Centaur World that's on Netflix. And so Chris and I started watching it. And it's crazy. Like, I I definitely would suggest it to anyone. It's a fun watch. It is the most bananas thing I've seen (laughs) in a really long time. But one of the characters is so obviously queer... But yet it's never said like he doesn't come out and say, hey, everyone, by the way, I'm gay. But it's just kind of understood. And I think that, again, that's the morphine of the media where they feel like they don't have to wink, wink at the audience anymore. Like, hey, this is the gay character. Like they're just who they are. And you don't have to have commentary to to basically out the character to the audience. They just kind of understand it. And that's also playing off of what's happening just in the world. Like, I feel that while many more kids are not necessarily having to come out per se, it's simply because of the fact that they are who they are from day one and their families support them and they never really get questioned. They might say like, mommy, like I feel different than everyone else. And they'll say, well, why? And they'll be like, well, I have, 
you know, this attraction mm-hmm. or this is who I am. And they're like, okay, well, honey, that's because you're gay or whatever it is. Right. Which is weird for me to think about. Yes. I mean, I likewise. mean, because, okay, so this is going to have so many side tangents. I apologize to the listener, but within my city community, we have a pride group and we set up for, um, again, June, but there's more than just June, but we did do a booth in June and we were handing out flags and we had all the different types of flags for the community. And there were so many like seven and eight year olds that were coming over to us and be like, Oh, do you have the non-binary flag? I'm like, no, but I do have this. And I needed more of those flags because those ones just like the bisexual and the non-binary were just gone like (laughs) within a matter of hours and so you know but the fact that they knew so much about who they were and they were there with their parents and it was like no big deal to the parents it's like that's amazing it really is i mean that's what people have fought for in the queer community to have children have the freedom to be able to do that Mm -hmm. and in some ways it's always like well, must be nice to be the oh, I know. <laughs> must be nice to be this kid in this generation. But it's you just have to step back and be like, yeah, this is the point. Mm-hmm. This is the point of all this. Right. I th- I think it's important to note too that we're all on the West Coast. So our experiences are quite a bit more progressive than most people on this continent in both US and Canada, I would say. Um because I think the middle of the U.S. and the middle of Canada, um, the attitudes not on average are not as progressive as um, what we're observing in California and in British Columbia. Mm. You just totally ruined my disillusion uh, of Canada. <laughs> so you're telling me that Canada has a Midwest as well? Um, so it's called the Prairies. It's called the Prairies, yeah. The Prairie Provinces. So in Canada. No. <laughs> I, I mean, the biggest difference, I would say, is that the Canadian federal government is a lot more supportive. I feel like the U.S. federal government is now more than ever supportive, but it's still not nearly as supportive as up here. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that Canada had passed a lot of progressive bills pretty early on, and then it kind of was like, see, like other places are doing it. So I know like yeah. France and other places. Yeah, totally. It's so. uh, it's pretty, pretty progressive here still, comparatively. Okay. You've redeemed your country. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> in my in my viewpoint. So, you know, so that's what could happen if these characters were created today and do you see more and more in the media like is there a certain characters right now like shows or books or anything that maybe the fandom might also enjoy that you could suggest well if you want to see a really lovely gay show that's really not about being gay but it's about ice skating you should watch yuri on ice Absolutely. Yuri on Ice is amazing. one of the biggest queer anime in the last decade. And beloved, like, actual, like, Olympic Olympic ice skaters watched it and liked it. That's so cool. So, you know. It's probably one of the most respectful, too. Like, I think in terms of, yeah, like, because 
a lot of the relationship is very just sugary sweet and it's not fetishized feeling like other media right which also leads to another conversation but do you have other suggestions (laughs) what about you alex oh yeah i mean i so this is a grain of salt suggestion if you can get through five episodes and not like it the sixth episode onwards it's worth it (laughs) um but high guardian spice which is a crunchyroll original a lot of controversy around it a lot of people said it was a um it was a mess in terms of storytelling and social justice warrior kind of inserting sort of stuff i think a lot of that is unfounded i think people jump to those accusations when they see any characters that aren't just things that they're used to um but i would say if you can get through five episodes of that and get to the sixth um it's a great show the representation is amazing it has trans character multiple trans characters multiple gay characters um it's kind of like little witch academia or harry potter meets like she-ra and the princesses of power um so if you're ditching harry potter and you want something else to have fun with at a magical school high guardian spice I need to watch more of that. I watched a couple episodes, so you've made me interested to go back and watch some more now. <laughs> Chris has got homework. Yeah. <laughs> so something that you said about fetishizing. Now, this is obviously a different side of, I mean, and this doesn't have to be just queer. I mean, anything can be fetishized. I think that, you know, there's certainly characters in Jewel Riders where, in my opinion, you have dominatrix Kale. So <laughs> I already see her as a very sexual character. But as a gay man, you know, you can sexualize people like Drake or, you know, in Skydancers, Slam is also really handsome. Right. You know, so you can fetishize these characters and turn them more into, I guess, like gay bait for you know, for consumers that something that artists can create. But where I'm going with this is that, you know, these characters who are, I mean, we're assuming are not gay, then all of a sudden become essentially like pornography. Like they, they become this very sexual media for a lot of fans not that there's anything wrong with it. I mean, I've definitely seen some very titillating images out there. Yes. But the Tumblr people were really adept at creating. Yes, stuff they like were. That. Yeah. And for some of it, I mean, I'm definitely like, wow, like that art is just really good. Like beyond mm-hmm. just, you know, the the nature of it. I'm just like, wow, that's really good art. Like you did a really amazing job. But You know, these are also characters, and this is where we're going to segue into this other company, that, you know, you also think of the more, I don't know, prominent of the sexualized cartoon, um, and it's the Disney princes. You know, you have an abundance of, you know, Hercules and Prince Eric out there and just all this stuff. And so 
the company obviously knows that they have a gay following, you know, just like any other company, Disney releases their rainbow merchandise in June and, you know, is very quick to tout the fact that they they donate a portion of the proceeds of the merchandise, of the merchandise, yeah, not proceeds. the proceeds of their day, just the proceeds of the merchandise to, you know, a gay, you know, HRIC, um, what is it called? Glisten? No. Yeah, exactly. So, like, Glisten. Um, and they were giving money to also to HRC, um, and that'll be another conversation. But, you know, again, they're, they're saying, well, we're giving money back to the community. We're doing this. And so a lot of fans, like, see, this company is so supportive of us. And But, of course, with Disney, one always has to go back to every time. It's, look, it's our first gay character mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. So... To kind of summarize what has happened, and and Alex, feel free to jump in wherever, but what has blown the internet up is essentially that Disney is associated with a don't say gay bill in Florida. And for many fans, you know, this is kind of the the headline that, that draws them right in. And they're like, okay, well, you know, I'm just so angry. Like, I'm not going to go to Disneyland anymore. I'm not going to buy Disney anymore. And I think that you need to understand, one, what the bill is about, and two, how exactly did Disney get involved in all of this? Because a company like Warner Brothers, as we've talked about before, you know, what was really their kind of their PR stance when it came to the statements from the author about Harry Potter. Did they initially release something, do you remember? You know, I don't remember off the top of my head. Do you, Alex? What was the question? Sorry, I was just Googling something. Uh, Oh, uh, Whether Warner Brothers released a statement regarding Um, J.K. Rowling. I believe they did. Um, They it seems like everybody's tried to distance J.K. Rowling from any Harry Potter related project. So like the video game that's coming out that everyone's really excited about, they tried to distance her from that. The new Fantastic Beasts, I think they've kind of tried to distance her from those. Um, they, you know, it's just corporate puff statements like what Disney made. Exactly. And yeah. And Chris just found it. So they did issue one. And this date was from June 10th, 2020. So basically, Warner Brothers does issue a statement on the J.K. Rowling statements. And so they're basically, you know, they're, and I can read a little bit. Um, but it just basically says that the events in the last several weeks have firmed our resolve as a company to confront Difficult societal issues. Warner Brothers' positions on inclusiveness is well established, and fostering a diverse and inclusive culture has never been more important to our company and to our audiences around the world. The company said in a statement, We deeply value the work of our storytellers who give us so much of themselves in sharing their creations with us all. We recognize our responsibility to foster empathy and advocate understanding of all communities and all people, particularly those we work with and those who reach through our con who we reach through our content that is the most nothing statement it really is i've ever heard well i don't know let's wait until we hear bob chapek's statement but you know that's essentially what they're saying and and i think as we've already discussed you know the actors were very quick to also 
kind of put in their stance as well. And it's probably because maybe they didn't think that the official company statement really did justice enough. And so they went, you know, on to say something, you know, whether it was Daniel Radcliffe or whoever it was, something particular. Yeah. Like, I know Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson specifically made some, you know, really, really inclusive statements, specifically talking to trans people. Mm -hmm. So, again, I mean, when a company like Warner or Universal or whoever it might be has some issues, I feel that the audience is relatively quick to kind of be like, okay, well, see, that's what happened. Okay. And then we make a decision, okay, whether we're going to just, dis, you know, disassociate the property from the author, or if we're just not going to talk about it or whatever it is. But a company like Disney, I think has initially set up themselves as a company that represents, you know, the magic in everyone and represents wholesomeness. And you have fans on both sides of this fence you have people who are very accepting of diversity and then you have people who are not so i think that as that type of a company you can never really gauge how you're going to you know how your audience is going to react but i will say when the black lives matter movement happened it was almost like every studio was playing catch up to how quickly can the other one release a statement because everyone excluding Knott's Berry Farm that I'm aware of, <laughs> every theme park, every movie studio, everyone, it was, you know, made a very large statement that we are supportive of our black community. Great. That's what I wanted to hear. But at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, well, obviously everyone jumped on the bandwagon and is kind of just saying whatever they want to say. Um, so, and Alex, it's, I know you were doing a little bit of research. Do you, do you want to have any thoughts right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think part of the issue with Disney's association with this is kind of a failure on U.S. law, in my opinion, because I don't think corporations should be allowed to have any kind of donation ability. I was looking up, apparently, according to the Federal Election Commission, they are not supposed to be able to donate. So I'm not sure how Disney is able to donate because um, it says corporations are not allowed to donate to campaigns, but maybe they can just donate in general if it's outside of a campaign. Um, I wonder if they can donate directly just to a. Right. To a candidate. To a, not within their campaign, but once they're already elected, elected and they're yeah. in office, because that's essentially what has happened is that they I sponsored. I mean, essentially, that's what it is. Financially, uh, someone who is in the in the government in the state of Florida, and now they're passing a bill that is very anti-gay. And so Disney, meanwhile, though, I mean, you know, they're their theme park headquarters, even though they're not the original Disney World, you know, is in Florida. And so they give money to obviously officials because they want tax breaks. Right. They at the end of the day, they are a corporation mm -hmm. and they are looking to not pay taxes and right. keep as much money as possible. Yes. I so by the, doing that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're fine. Uh, um, I'm just I think that this is a really big failure, though, because that's clearly a conflict of interest that can happen right there mm -hmm. um, where they don't really care what the impacts of their actions are, but they can throw their weight around with the amount of money they have. Um, 
and affect not only people's lives, but the culture of the entire country as a whole without even really caring about anything other than their profits. And I mean, corporations are not our friends. Um, no, that's but, exactly it. And that I think that that's where too many fans start to be blinded by marketing and by corporations because you know in their head or at least within their eyes it's like oh well you know this company's magic or this corporation stands for this and and it's like yes and they love you because you're giving them money but that's the extent of the relationship it's a company it's a corporation you know not to say that i'm as we already know i'm a huge disney fan like i love the little mermaid i love disneyland i'm a pass holder you know so but I've also already been burned by Disney, and I don't know if we want to get into that. But Stockholm syndrome. It is. I mean, it really is. But um, let me let me read Bob Chapek. Um, so this is his message. This is the official Disney message to all cast members. I'm gonna paraphrase some of this, but. He basically says that on Friday, I met with a small group of Disney LGBTQ plus leaders to discuss controversial legislation pending in Florida that would impact their communities. I want to thank them for a meaningful, illuminating, and at times deeply moving conversation. I told the group I would write to the entire company with my thoughts on the issues we discussed. I wish every one of our employees could have heard not just the passionate voices in the room, but the bravery, honesty, and pride those voices expressed. It is a conversation I will not forget. One common theme was disappointment that the company has not issued a public statement condemning the legislation. That disappointment was compounded by the fact that, while not perfect, our company has a long history of supporting the LGBTQ plus community and, in fact, has played an important role in the personal journeys of so many of our employees. I want to be crystal clear, and the entire leadership team unequivocally stand and support of our LGBTQ plus employees, their families, and their communities. And we are committed to creating a more inclusive company and world. I understand that the very need to reiterate that commitment means we still have more work to do. I also believe you deserve an explanation for why we have not issued a statement. We are going to have a more fulsome conversation about this at the company-wide summit in April, but I will preview that discussion now as it is so timely. As we have seen time and time again, corporate statements do very little to change outcomes of minds. Instead, they are often weaponized by one side or the other to further divide and inflame. Simply put, they can be counterproductive and undermine more effective ways to achieve change. I do not want anyone to mistake a lack of statement for a lack of support. We all share the same goal of a more tolerant, respectful world where we may differ in the tactics to get there. And because this struggle is much bigger than any one bill in any one state, I believe the best way for our company to bring about lasting change is through the inspiring content we produce, the welcoming culture we create, and the diverse community organizations we support. There's a reason content is at the top of this list. For nearly a century, our company's stories have opened minds, inspired dreams, shown the world both as it is and how we wish it could be, and now, more than ever before, represent the incredible diversity of our our society. 
We are telling important stories, raising voices, and I believe changing hearts and minds. Encanto, Black Panther, Pose, Reservation Dogs, Coco, Soul, Modern Family, Shang-Chi, Summer of Soul, Love, Victor. These and all of our diverse stories are corporate statements. They are more powerful than any tweet or lobbying effort. I firmly believe that our ability to tell such stories and have them received with open eyes, ears, and hearts would be diminished if our company were to become a political football in any debate. So... And then he goes on and he says, and in terms of our communities, we are and will continue to be a leader in supporting organizations that champion diversity. We provided nearly $3 million to support the LGBTQ plus organizations. And we have a long history of supporting important events like pride parades and being there in times of need. Just as we were following the Pulse shooting in Orlando, all this is why we have earned a 100% rating from the Human Rights Campaign for 16 years in a row. That's essentially – and then it goes on. So I just want to say for an initial thing, when he's talking about the donations, it just came out that the HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, denied – Like a $5 million donation. donation from Disney. Because it's Disney trying to backpedal, mm-hmm. and they were, were like wise enough to see that. Right. And I love it because, Alex, as you already mentioned, you know, a company should not be able to throw their weight around and do something that they really shouldn't. And so, you know, Disney was trying to, again, cover themselves and be all like, oh, see, well, we donate. We give money to organizations. And then, you know, they they just fool the public. And there's so many fans out there that Disney has pulled the wool over their eyes because then they say things like, oh, well, that's not what, no, Disney didn't meet, no, see, they gave money, they support the gays. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It really is. There's so many things wrong with the statement. <laughs> I know. Um, Aside from the fact that it's like, You'll see, I know you're offended by the fact that we didn't make a statement, but by making a, a non-statement, we're actually making a statement because we support you. I'm like, uh, excuse me? What? <laughs> Can you uh, say that again? Well, I think one, there's a couple things that really stand out to me. Um, one of the things is they are talking about, oh, the content we produce and everything is more powerful than any lobbying. And it's like, then why are you giving donations to anybody in the government Mm -hmm. the content you make is so powerful why are you involved with the government at all frankly so there's that um we know why and it's rhetorical like we totally know why it's about taxes Mm -hmm. um and potential tax breaks and favors that will be done for them within the state that they're contributing to the person so what i want what I want to say about this statement also is, you know, again, he's talking about the content they, they create, and then he lists things like Encanto and Black Panther, <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, one, this is a queer email. Yep. You're talking about the concerns with the gay community, and yet you listed, you know, yes, it's a diverse movie, but those have nothing to do with anything. Like, you know, the Latin culture has, you know, taken Coco as loving that or Encanto, and you know, the Black Lives Matter, you know, the black community has latched on to Black Panther. So you using those as examples in a in in a queer 
problematic email. It's basically kind of like the people who say, oh, well, all lives matter. It's not just black lives matter. All lives matter. And beyond that, if it's the content that you create, okay, then where's the gay fairy tale? Where's the gay movie that, you know, features the gay character? Instead, you have that wink, wink, like, oh, this character's gay. And they have a huge history of making these, you know, blink and you'll miss it gay moments that they can then remove from the movie for release in Russia and China and every other country that are homophobic. That are ho- is homophobic. I mean, I think it's a really good point that you brought up that they're basically saying, oh, we just make such diverse movies. Um, but then let's point to a single out queer couple in anything that Disney's made. Like, I'm sorry, Love, Simon. And I don't know if they did Love, Simon. I, they might have. No, this, Love, Victor, they, they did, This I is know. Love, Victor. Yeah, Love, yeah. Victor is a spinoff of okay. something that another company made that they're making at Hulu and not releasing on Disney+. Plus Because, oh no, the gay can't be associated with our brand. And that's also with... What was Hubba mentioned something? Owl House or something? Oh, the Owl, Owl House. House. Yeah. They stopped that or something. They stopped production on the cartoon The Owl House, like very shortly after, like one of the main characters I believe came out, and it was like, well, they, and they of course denied that it had anything to do with that, but I think the general consensus was that like by them saying, oh, well, it's just it doesn't really fit our brand or mm-hmm. something like that. It's a- like, interesting, yeah, it it's fit your brand until this, that. like you made this show, like mm-hmm. you made like two seasons of this show. There's so. a interesting thing about love Victor. So love Victor is um, not on Disney plus in the U S but it is on Disney plus in Australia, Canada and New Zealand. Yay, um, Canada! <laughs> yeah. So that's just an interesting thing right there that goes to show you that there's a legitimate fear within the culture of the U S right now about offending basically middle and Southern America, specifically area, the pockets that have more of a conservative mindset. Disney is obviously doing things to placate them that they're not willing to do in other countries because they could do the same thing in Canada, but they chose not to. Mm-hmm. We don't have Hulu in Canada, though, side note, but they could have found another way Platform. to. Yeah, exactly. They could have found another way if they mm-hmm. were really worried about it here. Um yeah, there I is. mean, that's that's a great example, because, again, as we've said, you have fans on both sides of the fence. But by you still catering to the other side and not being like, you know what, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, they they might have had prejudiced fans in, in the South when, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement was happening. But they didn't say, you know, oh, well, we're going to pull Tiana right now because that might cause controversy. No, they stood by it. And the fact that they're they're backpedaling and trying to cover themselves, it's they, they more infuriating. It, like, came out that they were going to rebrand the entire Splash Mountain ride mm-hmm. during Black Lives Blind Matter, Matter to yeah. a Princess and the Frog theme, which was great. But you should have done that not because... Yeah, that shouldn't have been done in that time, because even if you were really planning on doing it long before this, which is what they claim, Mm -hmm. and 
Because, again, I mean, if people have had problems with the source material for Splash Mountain for so long, but yet you've not listened to them, and it wasn't until it became a national, you know, epidemic that, you know, then all of a sudden, oh, we'll see what we're doing. We're retheming this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the optics think- of that are like, mm. I think it's worth mentioning as well that Cartoon Brew got a hold of a letter from Pixar um, that accuses Disney of censoring Pixar films for representation. I had heard about that. I haven't had a chance to read that yet. So, Well, anytime that Disney eats up a, another company, they just destroy it. Like that animation studio. Oh, yeah. Like um, Andy Stevenson, the creator of She-Ra, one of her comics Nimona which is very queer was being adapted by Blue Sky as a feature film and I heard it was something like 80% done Disney bought Blue Sky and they pulled the plug on that movie and they shut down their and they shut down the whole studio basically yeah I think that these types of things need to really become more uh, available to the public I mean I think that more people but then the sad thing is is that it makes me wonder because again there's so many fans out there that even though that this happened they're still like, oh, well, things happen. And I mean, I, I don't really know how I'm going to, you know, deal with certain things. I mean, like I said, you know, we still have our passes to the theme parks and we just got back from Disney World before this all happened. But literally it was happening like the week that we came back. So mm-hmm. it was like, well, we just spent thousands of dollars in Florida, like, but we're not going back to Florida anytime soon because it's not just Disney. It's it's you're really trying to show Florida like I'm not going to go to your state. I'm not going to give you money if you're not going to support me as a gay person. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to also note that after that company memo became public, like Disney received a huge backlash online because of it. And now, you know, little Bob, is that mm-hmm. what you call little him? Bob, yeah, little Bob, <laughs> because Bob Iger, that's yes, why. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, he actually released a, a, another statement, like you needed me to be a stronger ally in the fight for equal rights. And I let you down. I am sorry. But I'm like, you, you know, I forget who said it, but the basically the statement is when someone shows you who they are first time, true self. believe them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what I said is that, you know, really that message just infuriates me because, again, I mean, they jumped on so many other movements so quickly. And the fact that they haven't even issued a public statement in this, you know, because they're playing they're not playing catch up to a company. It's their own crisis. And they want to make sure to word it perfectly. They want to make sure that it's vetted by lawyers and managers. And it's like, just get it out there. Like, this is this is not something that you can sit on. So as I also mentioned, he talks about the inclusive content that's been, you know, created and everything. And and as I said, you know, it's it's something that Disney has really tried to show its fandom. By saying, again, it's like, you know, we're so supportive of people, whether it's pride parades or we're supportive of the gay community. Gay, and unofficial gay days. Exactly. And rainbow merchandise. Right. And so so here's a little bit of backstory with that. Um, 
you know, Disney, like any other company in the 90s, we've talked to um, some of, you know, some of the animators like Dave Woodman. And, you know, we've talked about certain things and aspects within the animation world. And, you know, nowhere was safe. Like it was not okay to be gay. It was not okay to be out. And even into the early 2000s, when I hired, I, I worked for Disney. And when I hired in, you know, definitely they had a little bit more of a gay community that was working there. And, you know, it's like what gay boy doesn't want to work at Disneyland. But, you know, I think that they started to understand and recognize that they had a huge employee base and they needed to make sure that those people were either represented in the media so that way they wouldn't get backlash but also you know when it came to like healthcare and support and things like that and childcare or you know whatever it might be so definitely things were changing but even into i i think that it was around 2000 and seven um when i first launched my youtube channel and videos that I had made when I was younger and um, even when I was a teen in drag. And, you know, some of them were as Dorothy, some of them were as Snow White, some of them were as Ariel. And I put them up on the internet and they started to gain traction and I got a lot of views. And again, this was all doing it through, you know, just basically my own social media and, and as a Disney fan. But then in my job, I was being promoted and I became a manager at the theme park. And it was within about four years of me starting social media that, again, my videos were getting a lot of views. And some of my cast members that I managed found the videos and they were making fun of me. And so one of the leaders that I managed brought it to my leader's attention and they were obviously concerned for me. They weren't they weren't like, oh, you know, this is really bad that Ronnie has this type of videos up. No, they were like, this is wrong that the employees are making fun of our manager. And Disney being the, you know, the homophobic true self that they are, they forced me to take down my social media. They basically said, well, we can't tell you to take it down, but, you know, and and really it was the fact that they didn't want one of their leaders being seen on the internet in drag. And so that's why they, you know, made us take that stuff down. And then years later, I'm, you know, part of the retail team and I'm helping them to create some of the rainbow merchandise that was sold during that time. You know, and I, it just, it, it's like, I thought that I was really seeing change. And yet now for them to be posting things like this, like, you know, a company wide statement like this, to the employees, but still nothing really official to the world. And and for people to really be, you know, telling me like, hey, you know, you saw the company for what it was a long time ago and I didn't believe you or I, I didn't see it. And I'm starting to see it now, like whether it was through COVID, whether it was through quarantine, whether it's been through, you know, employee rights and paying, like the fact that they went to court to not pay their employees one more dollar because they wanted to overturn some sort of law in Anaheim. And it's like, this company really needs to be seen for what it is. You know, I, I still, I love the content. And like I said, I'm having a hard time disassociating my love for the Little Mermaid and my love for Disney dolls from the leadership. I mean, I think it goes back to, again, that a company is not necessarily the things they create. 
and the things that you loved are created by people like Howard well, Ashman, like Howard Ashman, a gay man who and Dave Woodman, who also yeah. drove the Little Mermaid. Both of those you know, people worked on Little mind Mermaid. Queer content and creators for years. You know, the Disney villains are a huge example of, you know, Andreas Deha, the animator mm-hmm. is of Scar and Gaston and I believe Frollo mm-hmm. and, you know, Hercules. It's like these are like very gay characters and they're drawn by a gay man. Like, and it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Jafar. Yeah. Another very queer. Oh, yes. Yeah. Jafar. <laughs> Alex, it sounded like you had some thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things I wanted to bring up. Um, one being that the queer coding of villains, though I happen to, I think we all love the villains. I right. do feel like that's kind of really um, a good example of them pushing to placate both sides a bit because they can show queer people as these bad, horrible people, but we are so desperate for representation, especially back in the 90s and prior, that we are like, oh, look, a crumb of something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, look, Ursula is a drag queen. Well, that's exactly. what I've said time and time again, is that, you know, Divine was the inspiration. So yeah. why is it that time and time again, Ursula is played by a woman? It should be a drag queen. Every time it should be just like Hairspray, that character should be played by a drag queen every time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, the, uh, sta- the stage musical was like, oh, this skinny woman? I'm like, who is this? <laughs> yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention is I wanted to read a little portion of this Pixar letter from the LGBTQIA employees. Um, it said, in response to JPEG's, you know, statement, whatever you want to call that. Non-statement. Yeah. Um, it said, we come to the push for content as the answer. We at Pixar have personally witnessed beautiful stories full of diverse characters come back from Disney corporate reviews, shaved down to crumbs of what they once were. Nearly every moment of overtly gay affection is cut at Disney's behest, regardless of when there is protest from both creative teams and executive leadership at Pixar. Even if creating LGBTQIA content was the answer to fixing the discriminatory legislation in the world, we are being barred from creating it. Beyond the inspiring content that we aren't even allowed to create, we we require action. So, I mean, it's a pretty good little piece. I encourage everybody to go read the whole thing. But um, they go on to mention that 42% of LGBTQIA youth is seriously at risk for suicide, um, including more than half of transgender and non-binary youth. And a lot of this legislation enables, you know, more of that to potentially transpire with the effect on people's mental health when they're young. Um, So, I mean, I don't know. I just think it's important that we draw a parallel to this statement from Pixar's employees since we have JPEG statement. Um, they basically are saying it's bullshit. Yeah, right. <laughs> we all agree it is. Yeah. You know, yeah, I love I it's so well worded. I, I love it's so bold. That. Yeah, that's a beautiful statement and it's it really pulls the rug out of the entire non statement that Disney corporate makes. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just like, yeah, I think we've all been, I think we've all been under the impression that that has happened, been happening there for years of any time there's a possibility of something queer, like truly queer coming to the screen. It is like, oh, well, if you could just take out this, mm-hmm. you know, if you could just take out these two women kissing, you know, well, that would be better. You know, they could maybe like hold two pinkies <laughs> and just it'll be like this subtle thing that if the audience picks up on it, it's OK. But if they don't pick up on it. Yeah. I mean, I think something important that we never gets talked about enough with all of this, too, is that there's a super unfair um power dynamic at play with everything as well in that um cisgender heterosexual people have a lot of opinions on lgbtqia plus people but they don't actually know anything about us most of the time beyond a very surface level understanding um it's there's a lot more to the queer community than just who you're dating um there's a lot more to the experience for a lot of people um, on how they move through the world as a whole and how they're perceived by the world and treated by the world. So there's a very unfair power dynamic that comes up. And I know personally, when I was growing up in the southern U.S. originally, there would just be, you know, classroom discussions and debates held by the teachers about like oh so they're talking about gay marriage how does everyone feel about that and i don't think we should um i don't think we should underplay how harmful that is to a young person to listen to their peers in a classroom like grade school middle school whatever debating their rights and have everybody just be like well all of our opinions are valid. It's like, well, but you have no skin in this game. You're debating someone else's rights when you actually will not be affected either way. Oh, you mean it's like all the male politicians talking about female reproduction? Yes. (laughs) Goddamn Texas. (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's true. And I, and I know something that we had, you know, we said that we would talk a little bit about that. Um, as far as the don't say gay, I mean, I, I'm I'm hoping that most of our listeners are up to speed as far as what that is. But exactly as you said, Alex, you know, it's it's trying to manipulate how we teach our children and what we teach them and how we don't teach them. And it's harmful because, well, I think the problem is that it's it's science. But yet these people have also proven with the recent pandemic that they don't also want to believe in science. So right. I, I I guess it's a moot point, you know, of, of arguing. But it's it's really sad because as children, I mean, Chris and I both grew up in the same general area and, and we went to school together and it was never discussed. But then again, nothing sexual was ever discussed. It was a tiny religious school. They and... wouldn't even show us condoms. no. Your only sex education was be abstinent. Exactly. That was, there you go. Go forth and get married. Yeah. <laughs> so, there. I mean, obviously that was harmful. And I think that in the same way, I'm not saying that we necessarily have to have maybe these very specific conversations with children 
I think that that may be something that we have to work to. But I think that if we also, I don't know, because I mean, again, as, as children, I was never sat in a room and told, okay, as a boy, you're supposed to like girls. But it was just told to me through media. So if media is doing its job and, and if we take, you know, our, <laughs> if we stop talking about the horrible things that Disney's done and, and really talk about those positive cartoons that we've talked about already and, and the positive books and the positive influences of whether it's social media influencers or, you know, just programming that is queer, you know, I think that it's going to become more and more common knowledge to children. And so that when it does come time for certain conversations, the teacher can simply just say, okay, there's, you know, there's, I don't even know how they would say it, but like, you know, there's homosexual, then there's heterosexual, and then there's everything in between. And, and how do we, you know, as you as a person, how do you define yourself? It's open to interpretation. And if you want to stay after class and talk to me, let's talk or something. Like, I don't really know how that conversation would be had. And I'm glad, I guess I'm not a teacher. And I have to say a good word about the librarians of the world especially school librarians who are out there recommending queer books and not letting crazy people try to ban these queer books from their libraries. Book burning and everything because else. libraries are so important for queer children because, specifically, it's a place where you can go to get information, get a book. And get an audiobook. Get an audiobook. <laughs> and it lets you do that safely and explore that safely. If you're from a family, say that is not affirming. Mm -hmm. And I have to say like, you know, if people get very mad about, you know, filmic media being kind of a huge letdown for queer representation, but you know, the YA book scene has so much great representation these days in books like you know i was in barnes and noble like very recently and i could very easily pull off like you know four or five books just off the shelf of different representations you know trans queer um non-binary um there was an ace book that I've been meaning to read also. And it was like, okay, so these stories do have homes. They do have an audience then this proves it. Mm -hmm. And so when film companies dither around and say, Oh, but our audience and, and like, no, it's already been proven. Your audience will accept this. Especially if your audience is young and Gen Z. Well, I think exactly what you said, though. It's film and media because books, whether they were initially self-published and then a publisher picked them up and they gained momentum, it's not really how media always works. Unlike books, I mean, yes, you have certain publishers that are obviously the Disneys and the Warner Brothers of the book sure. world. But I think that, you know, an in a smaller batch publishing is also able to gain just as much traction. Whereas because of movie theaters, you know, or streaming services like, you know, Netflix is obviously picking up more and more 
movies and shows. So I think that it's better. So if there's some creative out there that wants to create something that's really going to make a difference, you know, those are the people that you're going to go to. I think that all these creatives who, you know, and and obviously I don't work for Disney anymore. I mean, maybe that's not obvious, but I don't work for Disney anymore. And it wasn't necessarily because of the whole queer thing it was just in general i didn't feel supported i didn't feel like i was being valued in that company and that's the reason why i quit so i urge anyone who works at these companies that you're sitting there and you're not being supportive then quit because this company probably doesn't pay you amazingly you know they see you as disposable why don't all of you go out and and create a new company, create a queer media? We'll have Ronnie Del Mar pictures. That's what we'll do. You know, and that's really the call to action for these creatives because you got to stop creating for, you know, the villain. Stop giving your talent to the person who's not really appreciating you. As yeah. somebody who truly believes in the indie publishing side of of publishing you know you can't always wait for a giant media conglomerate to recognize your worth Mm -hmm. like it's like to heck with them and right I mean, a lot of people love to quote, you know, whether it's Martin Luther and say like, oh, well, you know, silence is the best way. And it's like, no, like you're not going to get anywhere if you're silent. Like you have to make waves. You have to be vocal about these things. So, you know, that's the whole I think that's the takeaway from all of this. So I don't think that we're going to answer the question of. Should people or should not people, you know, do or not go to theme parks, do or not watch certain movies, you know, do or don't read certain books like that's going to be have to be a personal decision that you make for yourself. But I mean, if we didn't stress it enough, I mean, here at the Joyers Archive, we are accepting of all people. We are a diverse fandom and we see joy and happiness in every character you know it's Mm -hmm. it's something as you said we want to see ourselves in those characters and although i would have loved to have had you know a a guy who had pink hair and had the heart stone i have tamra but i love her for it but it's because i see myself in her you know that's who i wanted to be so thank you to those artists out there who continue to draw you know the diverse characters of of whether it's jewel writers or who show me shirtless disney princess or you know slam or he-man or whoever it might be so that's that's just what i wanted to say because i i feel very strongly about this topic and it and it, it makes me very sad but again i think that really it just comes down to we need to stop feeding the beast as my little pony yeah. told us yes. You and I had a discussion earlier about what interesting, how interesting it's going to be in June, whether or not Disney releases another rainbow collection. You're damned like, if you do and you're damned right, if you don't. It's like, it's like maybe if you released it with 
some really powerful donations associated with but it. But even then, because it's just, it's going to be a bad PR for them because if they do do it, you're going to get the pushback of, oh, see, June comes around and out comes the Rainbow Mickey. Right. And then if you don't do it, it's going to be like, oh, so you don't support us. You know, I know it's it's really going to be a damned if you do and damned if you don't situation. But I'm very curious what will happen with it. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, if they were smart and they actually meant what they said, they would announce a meaningful piece of queer representation in one of their movies or shows in June. You're but, such optimistic, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I know they won't do that, but that would be the ultimate right. way of pledging real support we're um, only thinking about the rainbow merchandise you're thinking about them releasing an actual like cartoon which I, I know they won't but i i know and no but i'm saying is that that's the kind of thinking again i think that that's just the difference in our thinkings where we've kind of oh just uh, understood that this is just our situation and that we're not going to get anything better but it it is having the hopeful fan like you to say no you could still do this or you could still do that i would like would very much love to see them do that and i would love for chapek's statement that our content speaks for itself to actually mean something in this case mm-hmm. i would love nothing more than for that to be true and i hope someday it is true yeah, because right now, which content are we talking about? Yeah, there's basically... Like I said, there's nothing that's officially branded as Disney. Everything that is e- even queer, like, you know, we have that one short yeah, that's like Pixar. Yeah, there's the one short that they made a big deal out right. of. Right, And it's like, but it's just like with Tiana, it's like, it was 2009, and you're saying, look, look, we finally made a black princess! And you're like, that so should have been done, like, decades ago like you know so now yeah, when you like, finally do do something it's going to be like see and i'm gonna be like well yes but there's all these other you know films or books that have already been done and you guys are the last on the bandwagon right. it's like that would have been meaningful in the 60s or 70s exactly <laughs> yeah i mean i guess that just goes to show that like they are a giant media company if not the biggest one of the biggest mm-hmm. um, they're definitely the biggest so as the biggest media company they can throw their weight around the entire world um so they could make a meaningful queer character and if a country was like well then we're not playing that there it's like oh so you're not playing the new star wars i feel like that's going to be a you problem more than you know oh, we're mad at Disney for making a queer character. It's like, no, we're mad at our government for literally not letting us see the new Star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. Is what would happen in a lot of places, I feel like. Um, But Disney won't put their neck out like that because it's not that meaningful. And at the end of the day, it's about money. So, Yeah. I I know... Fans are going to have a lot of comments about these topics. I can't wait to read some of these because I know that so many of you are so passionate about these topics and about these characters and about these movies and these theme parks and these companies in general. And and I really, really am interested to hear what you guys have to say. I mean, I feel like I've already kind of talked about everything that I wanted to talk about, you know. And yes, we did have, I guess, the 
the required Jewel Riders tie-in to it. But I mean, truly, like like Harry said, though, I, I really do believe in the conversations that we've had with Greg, if having queer characters was the normal in 1995, I really think that there would have been representation in Jewel Riders. And yeah, I, I think if it was made today, it would absolutely have at least one queer character. Probably no more. And but, probably more, yeah. Right. Because, I mean, so many, again, it's like trying to fit into society or trying to, you know, the, the friendships that you create and the bondings and things like that. Like, it's something that is universal that all children can understand, but you still look to it to see yourself in it. Yeah, I mean, Fallon's whole story of defying her parents to be who she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It's a very queer story. Mm-hmm. That's why we latched onto it. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about Fallon, but again, it's like, you know, in in the 90s and 80s, it was kind of the requirement that, oh, you have to have the black character for diversity. But I want to say that Fallon is more rounded than Tamara. I think she's the most rounded character in the show. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, she we obviously the most meaningful storyline because there's conflict and there's resolution exactly. and there's heart there. Exactly. Where it's like heart, where it's like Heartland Farm. Like, oh. you know, there's not much going on there with Tamara and her family. So she's almost like the perfect child. Again, I mean, she's awesome and she's fabulous. But yeah, I mean, I love Fallon. So again, the fact that a, a show really focused on their diverse character you know, and then you also had the boys in there, which, again, it wasn't just the throwaway boys. It was, no, we're really, you know, going to feature Drake in episodes and things like that. Yeah. So that was just my tie in for Jewel Riders. I wanted <laughs> to make sure that the Jewel Rider fans still to, got to something pre- out of pretend it. Pretend this is a Jewel Riders episode. <laughs> exactly. And not just blasting Disney, <laughs> you know. But thanks so much for talking with us, Alex. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, of course. Thank yeah. you for having me. Thank you for sharing your voice because you often come at things from interesting angles that I have never considered and mm-hmm. or know things. I mean, yeah. one, I hadn't heard about the Pixar letter actually. I'm sure Chris had, but I didn't know about that. So I kind of live under a rock sometimes. So it's like, if something's big enough, it will penetrate my rock. But other times I'm not always aware of, you know, things that are going on in the world. Blissful unawareness. Yeah, we could say that. <laughs> Must be nice. No. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Reach out to us on social media. Reach out to us on the site. Say hi. Tell us how you feel about this. Do you feel that you know, death of the author is the way to go with the things that you love or do you feel like a work is inextricably tied to the person or people who created or company who creates it and how does that affect your love and enjoyment of certain properties so let us know what you think because I am super curious how people divide on this and I can see either side on how you want to approach your media in that way. If you want to find out more from the Jewel Writers Archive, visit us at www.jewelwritersarchive.com. And if you want to hear more from our podcast, you can find us on any major podcast platform or at our home on Podbean. 
And if you want to find or follow us on social media, you can find us at Jewel Writers or at Jewel Writers Archive. But until next time, I, would, I think we can say friends together. Friends forever. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you have an amazing, diverse, magical day. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.